the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition podcast number 31. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking to Stephen Hamill from MBS. Now, specifications are a critical piece of the information puzzle uh, that's provided by the design consultants. Uh, It's provided to the contractors to enable pricing ordering and building. Now, the process of creating specifications really hasn't changed a lot over the last 50 years, or has it? Now, before I talk to Stephen, I need to talk to you about our exclusive podcast sponsor, NBS. I'm excited to announce that for the second year in a row, NBS has signed on as our exclusive partner or sponsor uh, for the Digital Transition Podcast. Now, personally, I feel as an architect, uh, one that has written a significant number of specifications in my career, that NBS, I feel, are actually kind of like the perfect sponsor for this podcast and everything that it stands for. It's about changing the ways in which we work traditionally. It's about embracing the opportunities that technology can provide us to deliver projects more efficiently, effectively, and and hopefully with less mistakes. Now, I have to say less mistakes because otherwise our uh, my insurer won't cover me. But uh, now, how does NBS actually do this? So their main product, NBS Chorus, provides architects and specifiers with a platform to write their specifications and connect it directly to their building information model. Now this connected methodology reduces errors and conflicts whilst enabling more efficient specification of products, materials and construction systems as they are identified in the BIM. Now, to learn more about NBS, head over to their website www.thenbs.com.au so thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Stephen. Yeah, hi, Nathan. Now, firstly, Stephen, for those that are not aware of who you are, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? In terms of my, myself, I've uh, worked at an organisation called MBS now for about 22, 23 years, and I originally studied structural engineering at a university in the northeast of, of England called Durham, and I stayed on and did a PhD in sort of digital mo- digitally modeling structures. So I used to build sort of reinforced concrete beams and columns, crush them in the lab, but at the same time on the computer, so Windows 3, Windows 95, we did sort of finite element analysis, sort of breaking down the structure so there was different properties for the steel and the concrete and try to model digitally what we were doing in real life in the lab. And I really sort of got sucked into the computer side of, of engineering back then and so I haven't looked back. It's it's interesting seeing a structural engineer go into the into the uh, specification space, but I guess we could probably learn more about that through our discussion today. But for the listeners that have listened over the last twelve months, they would have some understanding of what NBS does because of the sponsorship they've provided this podcast, and obviously the um, how well represented you are in, in events across the UK, uh, Canada and Australia. But can you explain for the listeners that may not have um, listened to any of our podcasts before some of the services that MBS actually provide? Yeah, so at MBS we have two main customer types. 
we have those that specify, so architects, uh, engineers, surveyors, and we also have construction product manufacturers that want to be specified. So we have two services, essentially. One is called MBS Chorus, which is a cloud-based collaborative specification writing platform. And the other platform we have is called MBS Source. Is that nice for construction product manufacturers to, to position their products and certification, literature, manuals, uh, 3D objects in front of designers and specifiers. And the two platforms sort of are linked together. So when you're writing your specifications or when you're doing your design, uh, if appropriate, you can uh, select from the construction product manufacturer information uh, we have. In Australia, the slight difference is we also have a specification consultancy business. So uh, SCL Schumann is part of NBS, which means that uh, construction professionals in Australia can choose to either write their own specifications using NBS Chorus or for maybe larger, more complex jobs, uh, work alongside the team at SCL Schumann to, to get expert help in that. So that's that first side of it. But, but the other thing that isn't a product but a service that NBS has, has provided or keeps looking after is the, the Uniclass 2015 classification system. And we spoke to Sarah Delaney about the importance of classifications last year. So that's, you know, not a product per se, but it's kind of almost like a an industry uh, service you're providing. Uh, on top of the specification side of things. Yeah, that's something we do for free for industry. Uh, it, it, I think partly it's to make industry better and sort of work together, but also we need it essentially for ourselves as well. We need to build a structure, specifications, product information. So if there's going to be a structure out there, it, it's completely in our interest that we can uh, sort of be round the table sort of driving that. So for the last 20, if not 30 years, we've sort of chaired in the UK what's called the, 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 the CPIC organisation mm-hmm. that slowly developed the classifications from the original uh, Swedish and cross-European classifications through to the first versions of Uniclass. And then back in around sort of 2013, 14, the UK government wanted that pushed on because of their BIM initiatives. And they ran a competition where and one organisation would really accelerate the development of Uniclass. And then, uh, yeah, we, we, were, we were the company that won that. So for the last five or six years, we've, uh, first of all, published Uniclass 2015 and then slowly worked with large client groups like Transport for London, Highways England, uh, the different water authorities, Department for Education, and also client groups in Australia uh, to, to keep on adding classifications to really grow its scope not just for buildings, but for the for the country's built environment. So for people here in Australia, just touching back on that, Uniclass 2015 is nominated in a number of um, government agency policies and documents here in Australia. But going back to the reason why I wanted to have a conversation with you today and, and going back to the whole concept of a digital transition, now here in Australia as an architect, um, specifications are, I guess, one of the most important documents that are created during the design process. Now, people that are in the BIM sphere are very fixated on on models at this stage and they're not so excited about specifications. And I know that the process for most architects here in Australia, it hasn't changed. Uh, the specification is a separate document and in some instances the specification is created in complete isolation, uh, sometimes created by an external party. 
this is always this is always alongside a BIM process where people and practices are modeling their projects. Now, can you explain what NBS Chorus actually is and how it differs from this traditional specification so that we're removing uh, this isolation or these kind of separable pieces where where um, all of these uh, let's can say conflicts occur on regular basis? Yeah, so the, the information that's extracted from a model, whether that's plans, sections, schedules, is a mirror of that that's in the specification. So if you've drawn a design for a, a wall system, uh, in the specification you're going to have uh, all of the products uh, that make up the, the, the wall. You're going to have the rules on execution because you, you, you want the, the tolerances, the accuracy, uh, the weather conditions, and also the rules on system completion. So what sort of testing needs to take place, what sort of warranties are needed, maintenance information. And I think it's true around the world that designers love the design side more than the specification side. So if you go back to the 1970s, it was more fun on the drawing board than it was on the typewriter writing the specification. And that hasn't changed, but both are vitally important. And if you sort of just forget all about the specification, leave it at the last minute, or you just push it out and don't take care about it at all, uh, you're going to be disappointed at the end of the project. You're going to visit your building and the, the products will be of lower quality. They won't have been built properly. Things won't have been checked. You won't have the certification. You won't have the manuals to pass on to the clients because all you focused on is the geometry. So you've got to focus on both. Now, if both are a mirror of each other, it's essential that the information is coordinated because if it's not coordinated, you're going to be talking about one thing on the drawings and another thing in the specification. And that was hard to do in the olden days, in the 70s and the 80s, because you're going through thousands of drawings, you're going through thousands of pages of specification, and it's a really, really tough task. But with modern technology now, we can make that a lot more easier and lower the risk of things going wrong on projects, because you can digitally connect the objects in the 3D model with clauses, which are objects without geometry, essentially, in the specification. So as you're doing your design, you can see the specification on the right-hand side of the, the design tool, whether that's a tool like RPCAD or Revit. And that's true whether one person's doing everything, like a small practice doing the design and the spec, or you're a big multidisciplinary practice working with spec consultants where everybody's got different jobs. And if they're connected digitally, you can just click a button and you can do crash detection between the model and the spec. So when, when we talk about crash detection at conferences, 99% of the time it's crash between structural model and MEP model, or architectural model and structural model. But there's also crashes between the spec and whichever model it is. And that's possible now using uh, the sort of technology that we've created here at MBS. Now, I think that's a really positive statement you've made there about clash detection between the between the two pieces of information that typically we are engaged to provide and i know even through my experience it 100% mirrors exactly what you're saying there about uh architects not having an interest in uh creating specifications it was it I, i've been fortunate that through the practice where i trained to to learn how to write a specification and and execute it uh, and do it in a smart way to reduce those errors. But looking at what Chorus can do by being connected to a model where the model's smart already, it means that there's a 
less chance that you know you're going to miss things because half the problems with specifications as well and documents and models. You know, if, if the documents are coming off a, off a model, there's always a good chance that you're going to miss something. You know, there's a good chance that you might forget to specify something that you may have drawn or modelled and it's sitting there on a drawing but it's got a descriptor there but there's no execution at all. But so you're saying that the clashes that Chorus can pick up, um, not only pick up whether or not the specification that's in the written form is completely wrong for what has been executed in the model, but it also will pick up things that are missing. Yeah, yeah, you can you can do a scan which will go through all those different objects in your three D model and it'll say which ones have got associations with the specifications and which ones you've still yet to specify. And I think when we speak to customers, whether it's UK, Canada, Australia, they've all worked on projects, probably multiple projects, where there's a bit of conflict during the construction phase or a handover phase. And they've got regrets that they didn't write. They didn't spend more time getting the specification right. Because that's the document that you can pull out and say, look, this is what we meant to do. This was the quality that we asked for. And if that's not documented as part of that contractual pack, uh, you very often uh, disappointed and things can go to dispute. So get the specification right and uh, watch your project uh, be more successful. Now, I'm a big fan of actually commencing my specification process actually at the start of the design development phase here in Australia. Now, I don't know if that's the same same terminology over in the UK with the RIBA stages of work, but essentially it's kind of just after you've finished your schematic design or your concept design phase, and that actually then informs the modelling. You know, rather than the modelling informing the spec, the, the specification, the decisions actually then inform how my team or I would model myself. Now, one thing we've talked about is the model uh, being connected with the specification. Now, the, the one question other people would raise with regards to this would be, what about uh, elements that are not modelled? So we know that there's a substantial portion of scope of services or scope of extent of work that um, would never be modelled. How how is that handled in MBS Chorus? Yeah, so maybe... Taking a simple example there, maybe a door set mm. where you have something that looks like a door in the model. You'd have some of the key properties like acoustic performance, uh, fire performance, that the, the main material of the leaf. But you, like, no one in the world models the intermissing strips and the fillers and the door closes and the door stops really. But that's critical to the overall fire performance at the end, that the door closes correctly, for security it locks correctly, etc. So what we do in Chorus is allow you to link the objects. So you link the door set and the door leaf to the equivalent clauses in the spec. And then within the specification, you can have links. So within that door set system, the door set would link to the door closer products. It would be referenced to the particular hardware system. So in the specification, you can go into that detail with property sets, essentially sort of this property, this value, drop-down values, guidance with it to specify all of the things that you wouldn't model in 3D. And the combination of the two together gives you that coordinated information set. And I like the fact that it's connected to the elements that are modelled in some way so that if you decide to change that, then it then will 
it, it'll just disappear, you know, essentially it'll drop out that other additional information or it will, uh, you know, raise and highlight and say there's an issue here. Now, one of the things that I – that here in Australia and in the UK there's been several um, issues with, with constructed buildings. Obviously in uh, the UK we had Grenfell, uh, which was devastating. Uh, here in Australia we've actually had a number of uh, large apartment buildings structurally fail. I don't know how familiar you might be with those, Stephen, but uh, there was there was a massive report um, done here in Australia about lacrosse which was a, a, a design and construct contract where the structure essentially wasn't wasn't strong enough and and cracks and and structural failures occurred now from your perspective and this might be the the most uh, intense question I, I might ask and you might not have an answer for it I don't know but can a connected specification assist in preventing potential tragedies, and I know that we, you know, we can only talk in generic terms here because we can't say it definitely will. But is there the? Do you believe that these connected specifications could assist in preventing tragedies like what happened over in Grenfell? Um, you know, could it actually um, contribute to the golden thread of information? I think the most important thing there is to first of all detach technology from it and concentrate on information structures and process, whatever technologies used. And that what we, that's what uh, the government are doing in the UK with their uh, Building Safer Future initiative and the, the golden thread of information. So what they're saying is if key gateways in construction projects of seven stories or higher that are residential uh, buildings, there will be sort of information drops. The first one is part of the planning system. Yep. Then prior to construction, uh, Gateway 2 is called prior to construction commencing. And then finally, Gateway 3, uh, prior to occupation occurring, where the regulator will go through a set of structured uh, information. Uh, on the planning side, the government's already released a template, which you can download from GovUK. And it's a six or seven page structured word document with associated guidance where it's a little bit strategic. So which standards are you following? Fire design, can fire engines safely access the building? Uh, what about the standards for the sprinklers? For If you're going for sprinklers as a strategy for fire suppression, et cetera. And that's set and fixed and sort of signed off at planning. When you come to the skateway two, that's when you need to have a collection of plans and specifications that are coordinated. Now, clearly to do that, you need to be using I, I forget the terminology they use, but like appropriate technology, the yep. duty holders that are accountable. And that's why you've got to, you've really got to be using 3D modeling tools and have a sort of professional specification tool to, to, to coordinate everything together. And at that stage, uh, whether you have contracted design portions or everything sort of traditional design, you need to have everything fully specified. So these are the products from these manufacturers. This is the quality of execution. This is the evidence in terms of the submittals. Uh, so prior to construction, and then importantly, between that gateway to prior to construction to uh, final occupation, any changes have to go through that proper change control uh, following uh, the ISO 9650 standard in terms of suitability, revision, naming convention, uh, et cetera. And I think one of the big things that we saw 
with the Grenfell tragedy was substitution of products without the correct process and accountability. So that needs set up before construction phase to say if any changes are going to be made, this is the process to make sure that the key technical properties are the same or higher and that the systems and the systems that are connected uh, also match the original design intent as well. So you're getting that transparency through a well-structured process and through well-structured information. So I wouldn't say it's the sort of first and foremost, use this technology and everything will be fine. It's follow this process, get your information structured, coordinate the information, and that's the process to follow, and then choose your technology to, to allow you to coordinate your model and your specification uh, to, to do, yeah, uh, lower the risk of going things going wrong and get the efficiencies that you can slowly develop that through and have that transparency. And I think you're right to raise the point that it's not just the fire safety side, it's the structural safety as well. I think you give the Australian example earlier in the building press two or three weeks ago, there's a huge development in Hong Kong that's having to get taken down and rebuilt because they didn't get the concrete uh, and, and, and steel right in terms of the, the, the foundations and the structure. And again, you get the documentation, understand the testing, make sure it's checked properly. If there's any substitutions to take place, make sure it follows the process. And that's what we've, uh, we, we've, we've got to get right. It's a scary thought, the, the volume of uh, potential extra workload that will actually add, you know, add to a project in terms of checking off on things. Chorus obviously works well in obviously hitting gate two in there in the UK. Um, the gate one's a scary one in the sense that they just want a, a Word document that, that's kind of a template. It'd be nice to see some sort of smarts at the front end to do that, but then... Obviously, with the phase three, it would be. And I know there's heaps of conversations with you know the likes. I, I spoke to GS GS one here in Australia about you know tracking products you know under sites and barcoding and all those sorts of fabulous ways in which things could be tracked. But it'd be good to see some sort of solution that that kind of captures and and holds. You know, it's almost kind of single point of truth for the specification of a building, you know, once it's built. And and that's why I've, I've always thought, even though you end up with these 500-page to 1,000-page PDFs, as, as evil as they are, um, <laughs> there's, there's, so much, there's so much information there that could be of assistance to an asset owner, um, only if it was easy to get their hands on. With regards to other downstream benefits, so... We all know, and, and the the kind of uh, what can I say? Here in Australia, there's a common joke about the specification uh, being essentially, uh, you know, a, a doorstop for the contractor uh, on his site shed uh, because it's so thick and heavy, and he probably never reads it. Um, but what are the benefits of this specification type that MBS Chorus puts together? Uh, for downstream users, you know, and and how does it assist them um, in construction? Are there benefits for the construction team, for example? The, the, the client, ultimately, especially if it's a client that does lots of similar buildings, whether that's supermarkets or hotels or car showrooms or what have you, if you're a university estate, if you're doing lots and lots of buildings, you want to be demanding in your 
sort of appointment documents, your employer's information requirements, et cetera, a record model and a record specification in a digital format of your choice at the end. So you're not just paying for a building, you're paying for that uh, digital asset that goes uh, with it. And on, on the modeling side, too many models that you see are just full of rubbish, get it right geometry-wise, generate your drawings, and you can't reliably query the information because the structure of every object is slightly different using different GUIDs and different parameter names. And uh, on the specification side, it's your yeah 3,000-page PDF that gets printed out and put is a doorstop did you say <laughs> well it's a doorstop when it's printed but i'm sure it's just um I, I'm, I'm a big fan of um digital waste as well it's called digital um waste when it's when it's a pdf that no one ever opens <laughs> yeah yeah but if you structure the information properly you can query that information whether it's a model whether it's a specification and uh, you can get the answers to your questions sort of very quickly uh if that's not digital and it's physical, uh, you, you, you can't. And then for those big clients that we started talking about at the start, you can actually then do searches across your estate. So I have a thousand supermarkets across the UK uh, operating at different uh, efficiencies. What's the heating system in that supermarket? What floor covering systems? Why did we have to replace that? And you can look across uh, yeah, a digital record of if, if your, your, your estate, and it's the scenario that NBS aren't in, but if you can take that information into the operations phase and slowly start to sort of put sensors and uh, sort of the, uh, get that report back, that's the sort of digital slowly building up that sort of digital twin vision. And I guess we've already we've always done that a little bit with things like security, CCTV cameras, and fire alarms connected, etc. But uh, can you do it on things like room occupancy and temperatures and uh, when things fail, etc. And I think that's the, that's that's the way it's going. But it all starts with getting your information structures right and your process right on the start of your projects. So the key takeaway from that for our asset owners that are listening today would be to start to step back and have a think about how they may like a specification structured for them as an as-constructed specification to then assist them in their asset maintenance and, and whatever systems they may have in place. Just depending, you know, even no matter how primitive their systems are, because here in Australia, there's a lot of primitive asset maintenance systems here, uh, Stephen. So, um, the the maturity of the market is is far behind um, some of the stuff the UK is trying to achieve. Yeah, I think if you look back at the Golden Thread Initiative, you forget about the fire safety, but just look at the principles there. I'd like to have a specification in the following structure for construction. I'd like to have a change control procedure that I can follow as a client. I'd then like to have a record spec at the end in that structure. If you ask for sort of those three things, yes, it ticks the, the, the building safety box, but it also ticks all of the other important outcomes, whether that's sustainability, inclusive design, conservation. Uh, so it, it's pick, picking off everything. And of course, the, the not the generic things, but the things that are specific to that owner. So how much can I sell the apartment for or how many lecture theatres do I have or uh, prison cells or whatever the, the, the metrics are for the specific client? Oh, at this point in time, obviously, NBS Chorus is built off the back of uh, Uniclass 2015. But 
for the listeners out there that, that might not be aware, and I think this is kind of something that could tie into the specification side of things, what are the differences between the standard information structures that are around the world? You've got certain things that are almost the same around the world. So you, like the IFC data structure, the Kobe data structure, and I think to an extent Unicrust 2015. And I think you can get away with all of those standardized around the world with maybe different sort of synonyms and language. So for example, we've got examples of Unicrust 2015 being used in Japan, different character sets completely, uh, but the numbers are still the same. So a wash basin is the same in Japan in terms of its code as it is in the United Kingdom. And looking in North America, you, you might call the space a restroom where we call it a toilet in the UK, but you can still have the same code. So the concept, if you like, is the same, but the terminology, we're not going to try and persuade everybody in the USA to call it a toilet and not a restroom because that's that's not, not going to happen. Or, Australian, or an Australian, Danny. <laughs> Give me a good example of an Australian difference in the UK in language. Oh, that's Danny. That's it. They're right Danny. there now. <laughs> yeah, so we have the same code, but uh, we're quite happy to keep the word toilet in the UK and we'll, we'll go with Dunny and uh, Australia and restroom in, in USA. But I think it, it, it's the technical characteristics that are different. So there might be certain things that are important in Australia that aren't important in UK at all, like you know, a, a bushfire attack, uh, probably vital. Uh, I know we've got specification properties in our... Uh, Australian spec content, but we haven't got it at all in the UK. And then for just something as simple as the brick, they come in different sizes in Australia. The standard size of a brick in a clay brick in in UK is different to Australia. And then the technical characteristics, like how it's tested in terms of its compressive strength or its uh, geometrical tolerances, are, are the, the, the rules of measurement in the Australian standard are different to the British standards. So we got something like D1, D2, D3, or T1, T2, T3 for the tolerances. And I think we call it tolerances. In Australia, you call it dimensional deviance, and it's, I don't know, ABC or what have you. So once you get below the concept of what it is, the local standards have different technical characteristics. So it's, it's a really big job to get those structures right in the different uh, countries, whether that's Canada UK, Australia, because the local standards are different. The challenge we have in Europe is the standards are very similar. They've got harmonized euro norms. So the way that you test the tolerance of a brick uh, is the same, but then the German language is different to the Spanish language, which is different to the French language, which is different to the, to the, the, the English. So it's a slightly different where you've got the same sort of enumerations and test standards, but you have it different. So trying to do a specification system around the world takes a lot of work from that sort of human technical knowledge side. And it's maybe why in the past you haven't just been able to pick up a tool and it works for everybody everywhere because there's local differences that maybe aren't as important if you're just developing AutoCAD or SketchUp where you're uh, drawing drawing uh, geometry but i think we've got a good handle on it and i think from a construction product manufacturer side it's if you're shipping the same products from the same factory around the world the information that you put on the labeling and essentially your digital information online 
is going to be different because a cladding panel is going to get measured for fire safety different in Australia than it is in the UK than it is in Canada. So it's a big challenge for the manufacturers as well, those global manufacturers that export around around the world. It's it's a big challenge <laughs> to even try and contemplate trying to um from my perspective, trying to understand what needs to be specified uh, in another country. So I'll leave that to your team. <laughs> I'll stick with my. I'll stick with the Australian side of things. Now, this is a really. This is a. This is a kind of a step, obviously, to to your other your other product, not chorus, with regards to specification and and manufacturers content. And I frequently have uh, manufacturers. Uh, or suppliers here in Australia uh, reach out to me to understand what industry needs are uh, with regards to BIM and a very strong focus at this point in time is all around BIM content. Um, whereas I think that there's a there's from my perspective it's more about the uh, the quality of uh, structured information rather than a 3D model, but. With with your product here in Australia, and I see on on uh, all the social media services uh, through MBS here in Australia, there's each each week there's a few new manufacturers that uh, that jump on the NBS platform. What do you think from your perspective in terms of being a specification system and and working closely with manufacturers apart from the challenges of uh, trying to have global uh, systems in place so they can meet all of the standards uh, in, their, in, their, in the countries they import or export into, how can manufacturers increase their chance of being specified on products or projects, if I could say it properly, instead of products and say projects? Yeah, I think six or seven years ago, the whole discussion here was around everybody needs three, 3D objects. Yep, it's, it's, still object. that, it's still here in Australia. <laughs> Jobs done, go to the pub. Uh, that's the end of it. I think we've learned a lot, a lot in the last six or seven years. We've done a lot of focus groups as well at the UK. And when we talk to designers and specifiers and say, like, what do you need? What's your message to construction product manufacturers? It's around like the key information that needs to be digitalized. And it's things like, like guidance on application. So it's an insulation product, but is it suitable for ceilings or walls or pitch roofs or flat roofs? It's around getting those consistent technical characteristics. So the standard is X, Y, these are the technical characteristics, provide that in a well-structured form with the right units, uh, et cetera. And then where you've got evidence of third-party certification. So I'm saying this is security level three to Australian standard two, and I can prove it with this certifier that's actually smashed the door down with a hammer and proved that uh, it, it does that got level. Uh, linked information to pdfs things like installation guides and warranties and then really easy technical support uh, contacts as well so don't forget about the human side so each manufacturer will have had somebody that's worked there for 25 years that understands the do's and the don'ts and which products combine to give you that performance make it easy to talk and collaborate with that person as well so some of the biggest manufacturers in the uk we've got 40 or 50 of them now that subscribe to chorus as well so just like we're having a Teams or a Zoom session now, you can sort of click a button, get the manufacturer on a call and work together on the specification or work together on putting together the model and things. So yes, you've got to digitalize everything. You've got to have a great website, uh, 3D objects, uh, help from any manufacturers. But think of the information that's attached to the website, to the objects uh, as, as, as well. 
And I think that's, uh, that's pretty essential. And then get it out there in front of as many eyeballs as possible. So if you think if you're selling, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but if you're selling cars in us in UK, you've got a great car website, but you also put it on a website called Auto Trader, where everyone comes and compares different cars. If you're selling your house, estate agents have a website, then we have one called Right Move. And I think it's the same in construction. You need a great website, but you also need to get your technical information out on the websites that. Uh, the construction professionals are doing comparisons and discovering products. And I think that's what MBS Source uh, brings to the table. It brings those standard structures and allows similar manufacturers to come together so that specifiers can discover them. I'm after a boiler, I'm after a hand dryer, I'm after a roof light. And you can look across the technical characteristics to support the offer, the third-party certification, uh, get permanent hyperlinks to each product and then choose the product that's right for your, your, your project. So there's a lot to take in for construction product manufacturers, but uh, get the information right, digitalize, and then make sure you get the eyeballs, get, get your, your products in front of the decision makers. Well, hopefully that's something for our manufacturers today to take away. Now, this is an interesting pointed question I got for you because I think it's uh, one that – I find contentious in many ways um, because architects as a profession have watered down their responsibility over the last couple of decades and it's probably the same in the UK but for an Australian example, originally, you know, if we go back even further, a thousand years, architects originally were the structural engineers as well. So then we, we take a step back from that and engineers came along and, and I'm happy that engineers are around. I'd rather not take that responsibility. Um, but then we lost uh, ground to town planners. So as um, town planning requirements got more challenging, we lost out and a new profession was born in town planners. Then along came project managers because a number of architects couldn't manage their projects properly. So architects lost that. BIM's come along and it's a great opportunity for architects to actually, I think, claw back and become the information managers and, and manage the procurement of both the physical and the, the digital asset. I think that's a perfect thing. But one of the things that we do see here in Australia is some people, as we said, some people don't actually like writing specifications. They'd rather focus on design. I personally like writing a specification because I'm a bit of a micromanager and I like to make sure that the design is holistically covered. Now, what's your views on the, the, the concept of specifications and architects overall? Do you think that architects actually should be taking back that responsibility and, and focusing on that as being a really critical part of their role? Yeah, I think our, 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 the specifications define the quality of the products and the work. So the architects have to take responsibility for that. I think the architects do have two choices, though. They can bring that skill in-house and use an expert system and sort of train their teams, or they can work with the likes of uh, the SEL Schumann team to to sort of oops, to almost like give them the brief and then but then sign off at the end. So uh, it's not like a sort of if you haven't got the skills in-house, you might need that additional support. But ultimately, if you do need additional support, you still have to make sure the briefing's going in correct before the technical design stage. And then you're understanding what's in the specification and taking responsibility for sort of signing it off and really knowing what's, what, what's, what's happening there. 
it's, it's, I think in the UK, specifications are more done in-house, but there is three or four specification writing consultancies and they, they'll be used, as I say, just to sort of increase the size of the project team, but with the architect making sure the brief goes in correctly and then they sign it off at the end or they're bringing in somebody to help build up their master so that they can stand on their own two feet in one or two years' time. But forgetting all about the specification, pushing it to one side and crossing your fingers that everything will be all right, it's a, a recipe for disaster. No, that's good. I'm glad you agree with me, mate. I certainly do. Now, I kind of raise crazy ideas about the concept of, uh, you know, NBS's product being the, following the whole life cycle of an asset and that's probably uh, uh, crazy from my part but what's next for NBS you know you've got you've got the products in place you're the classification um, manager for uni class 2015 what else is uh, in, on the roadmap for, roadmap for NBS I think from an Australian point of view we've got a great development and progress at the moment which helps the collaboration between the architect that is working with the spec writer, we call it the summary sheet, where early on you can go through all the things that need specified, you can share the brief, you can work uh, together in the cloud and see that get developed. So we're really excited about the, the summary sheet functionality that uh, we're working on right now. We're a national, national supporting partner of the AIA, and we're working with the AIA on BIM research and a report to be published later this year in Australia. And uh, we also recently acquired the, the spec pack content set. That's maybe for slightly smaller projects, but again, it, it gives more options to the Australian market rather other than the MBS native content. But it's the content set that people have been used to using in the past using so Microsoft's uh, Word. On the sort of global point of view, MBS is now part of a, a group called the Big Factor Group. And uh, that, that started as a European-wide group of companies, but now with MBS, we're now in North America and Australia. And we're hoping to, to, to be the biggest in the world in terms of sort of information management, insights, product information. So if you look at things like the design, there's four or five really big companies. If you look at things like the common data environments and collaboration, there's four or five really big global uh, market leaders. There's no real market leader when it comes to that product information specification, uh, project insight size. And we've now got a set of businesses across Europe, uh, North America, Australia, that we're going to now pull together and make sure we get that data interoperability. So hopefully NBS as part of the big factor group can be a real sort of global leader there. Oh, I, like, I like that inspiration. It sounds like a good aspiration to have because once again, having a an international presence essentially could it gives you more buying power essentially to then strengthen your products product line because your customer base is broader so you can invest in your products more and deliver greater value for your customers yeah and some of our really large customers now you've seen lots of acquisitions and partnerships and they are not just operating in the uk but it's in canada in southeast asia in the middle east in africa and you don't want to be sending your project team, okay, you use Word for the documentation, you use Revit for the designs, you use whatever common data environment and everywhere in the world you do something different in terms of the, 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 the spec information. You want to have that one single package so that the business leaders know they've got the efficiencies, they can lower risk and they can look across all of those projects and, and get that sort of dashboard report of where things are at in their, their, their different projects around the world. 
No, it sounds good. Now, Stephen, thank you very much for your time today. Now, I have one final question, one that I ask all of my guests. What does BIM mean to you? And I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, I'll try and keep it concise as well. <laughs> so, for me, it, it's about the information management side of BIM. So I think it's a mix of two things. It's about getting the process right, getting your information structures right. This allows for collaboration. And if you throw the digital bit in, which has always been my passion from university all the way through, you make everything fly. Process information, collaborate together, get it right digitally, and uh, that's been. <laughs> oh, you can line up with me then and call it better information management. But uh, <laughs> thank you once again for your time today, Stephen. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Been a pleasure to chat. Now, for more information on Stephen and NBS and their Chorus product, please head over to the podcast section on the Skewed website for some further reading. Now, I look forward to sharing a next podcast with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. Digital transition.